Hey everybody, this is episode 19 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I'm speaking with Erin Bell, who talks with openness and honesty about her journey from a life constructed around corporate consulting to a life constructed around making art. And she generously shares valuable marketing tips that she picked up from her work in market research and strategic branding that can be used by artists at the local level. Erin Bell graduated from Duke in 2011 with a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in management studies. After working the past five years as a marketing and business strategy consultant, Erin quit her job in February to pursue artistic endeavors. Erin now works with Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern as a stage manager, webmaster, and graphic designer. And earlier this year, she founded Bull City Photography. Hi, Erin. Hi, Tamara. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Would you tell us about your background and how you came to the work that you're doing now? Sure. Um, well, theater had always been a part of my life when I was in school, you know, middle school, high school, even through college, I did that. Um, but I had this sense that I had to stop once my career started because it was like time to be an adult. Mm. And I always thought of theater as a, a hobby and, and it never even crossed my mind that it could be something I would do uh, for a living. And then taking it even further back from there, uh, I remember when I go through my parents, you know, various drawers and cabinets in their basement. They've lived in their house for 30 years. Uh, I found once um, a worksheet I had done in kindergarten where I wrote that what I wanted to be when I grew up was an artist. Mm. And it's so funny because I struggled for so many years to figure out where I fit in and what I wanted to do. And there you go. I was right at five years old. Mm -hmm. So we should all be asking our our, our kids <laughs> what they want to do and keeping track of it to tell them later when they <laughs> yeah, get confused. Right. But yeah, so after I got my psychology degree from Duke, I thought I was going to become a couples therapist. That was the, the plan when I was in college. But I was kind of getting cold feet because I was like, oh, that sounds really intense, actually, sitting all day with people telling you their deepest, darkest problems. So I kind of like panicked and looked for a life raft, mm -hmm. which ended up being Fuqua's management studies program. Uh, it's kind of like a mini MBA. In the course of uh, a calendar year, you learn the basics of strategy, finance, economics, marketing, calculus, statistics, um, some other kind of business basics. So I did that for a year. Um, and thought I had found a good marriage of psychology and business in the type of consulting that I was doing. So that started off being market research, basically um, using some data to, to paint pictures of groups of people. So if Coca-Cola is targeting, you know, women age 45 to 60 with their, you know, this new drink or new campaign, I would advise them as to whether that was a good idea, how they could, which ideas they should punch to reach this particular group. And so I'd get asked about all kinds of different demographic groups and um, trends that were happening in the marketplace for consumers. And I found it intellectually stimulating, interesting. Um, but as the years went on and I, I, you know, I just started to have agita. I started mm. to to just feel like I didn't quite fit. I see, I, I was really stressed all the time at work. Of course, consulting is like a 24 hour a day job. Mm -hmm. They expect you to be on email. You're often expected to work weekends. You'll have to travel with very little notice. Um, so it's definitely 
the type of job that I think is meant for a bachelor. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I definitely think it's meant for young people. I just didn't have the stamina after a while. Uh, I tried switching focus within the consulting realm, uh, switched to like strategic branding and like uh, strategic planning mm -hmm. for companies, which was somewhat more interesting because it was like kind of a bigger picture. It took it up a level from specifically, you know, what are, is this group of consumers like to not only what is this group like, but how should we plan to get closer to them over the next year, three mm -hmm. years, five mm -hmm. years. So it was kind of, you know, more challenging, more interesting. But at the end of the day, I was helping McDonald's sell more French fries, mm -hmm. you know, was kind of what it felt like. Um, so still wasn't quite satisfied. There's still something missing, still very high stress. And art really didn't fit in with that schedule because by the time I got home at night, I was so exhausted. All I could do was kind of heat up a lean cuisine and like mm -hmm. veg for right. the next. Right, <laughs> Yeah. Right. Um, and then I couldn't commit to a rehearsal schedule because I might have to work nights one week or I might have to fly out to Chicago for three days. And it's just like I couldn't do any shows. Um, I didn't realize how sad that made me until I started doing it again. Mm -hmm. um, I think in early 2015 was when I got kind of started to get reinvolved with things. And I was actually on sabbatical at the time. I had quit my first job and um, with the same intention that I had this, this last time I quit in February of this year, which was to like find myself mm -hmm. or find whatever I was meant to do. And I didn't necessarily know at first that it was going to be photography and theater um, it was, I kind of just like uh, allowed myself to go toward whatever I felt attracted to, mm -hmm. which was a novel thing for me because I had always done things like by the book. Like I knew that you were supposed to get good grades so you could go into a good college so you could get a good job and have a good life. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of all I just saw. I was going by the like generic. The template. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so to not be doing things out of ambition or obligation anymore was really a changing of gears for me mm -hmm. to start, um, you know, getting in touch with that little voice inside me that says like, oh, you know what would be cool mm -hmm. is if we did X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, that, you know, project that Tamara mentioned last <laughs> week, that sounds cool. Mm -hmm. I should help her out with that. So I kind of just started out by, yeah, quitting the day job, clearing the schedule so that when opportunities like that came along, I did have the flexibility to say yes. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how this kind of chapter of my life began. And then, yeah, as the, the weeks and months went on, I found myself involved with Little Green Pig, who I had worked with um, before I quit my job, but mostly for free. You know, it was mostly like, oh, they need a poster for this show. I'm trying to learn Adobe Illustrator, so I'm going to goof around. And it wasn't high stakes. You know, right, it was a very right. comfortable sandbox for me um, because they are an experimental theater group, uh, because they, they do trust people. They trust the people they work with to to do whatever they're going to do. You know, mm -hmm. they'll give you guidance for sure and 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 spitball with you creatively. But then they're like, all right, go do it. Do your thing. Yeah. Like, right. I know you've never used this program before, but I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> and I really like that. You know, um, I am pretty, I'm kind of a Jane of all trades. And and I, that's part of what this, this period of my life is for, is dipping my, you know, feet into different artistic pools. So I've been able to continue that experimentation and exploration working for them. Uh, as you mentioned, I do stage management for them, graphic design, and I'm also their webmaster. Um, so that was one, that's kind of one, you know, tree branch of my life right now is Little Green Pig. The other being Bull City Photography, mm -hmm. which was a company I started in about August of this year. And it's pretty self-explanatory what we do there. Uh, <laughs> it's probably uh, among the most affordable 
photography companies you'll find, mainly because I still don't completely know what I'm doing. So I, same thing, you know, it's a sandbox. Mm -hmm. I have my equipment, um, but I'm doing things for the first time. So doing family portraits. Well, sure, I've taken pictures of people. Sure, I've, you mm. know, done group photos, but formal family photography, uh, portrait photography is relatively new for mm -hmm. me. So that's why it costs you, you know, $75 for a half hour shoot instead of 125 right. is because you're, you're, you know, leaving me that wiggle room to, to mess up or, mm -hmm. or take risks, uh, try different things mm -hmm. with you. So my clients have been really good about, you know, being willing to do it on, on the quick and dirty and and they come away with cheap photos and I come away with more experience. So that's that's how that's working so far. I looked at the website for Bull City Photography and the images that you have there are just beautiful. They're really arresting. Oh, thank you. you have a very distinctive eye. So I hear what you're saying when you talk about you don't really know what you're doing. This is a new venture for you, but the pictures that you take are much different than the pictures I would take <laughs> because that is not my thing. I, I don't have that, that um, visual sensibility. How did you come to photography as a medium? Is this something that you've always liked to do? I have always taken photos. Um, usually it was with a cheap digital, you know, kind of tourist camera. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, for years and years I just did that. Didn't even think of it as a hobby. It was just kind of something I did. Um, and then I got my first like real camera about two, two and a half years ago now, which uh, I, I shoot with a Nikon D7100. So it's like a high-end amateur uh, cam, semi-professional camera. And then on top of that, I've started to accrue equipment now, um, which is what allows me to give the pictures the look of professional photography because there really is a lot more that a, a professional camera can do than the cameras we have on our phones the mm -hmm. cameras we have in our, our little power shots I, I also do think that I have like kind of a uh, kind of some kind of aesthetic instinct that's just always been with me my mother actually was uh, a graphic designer kind of corporate materials artist back when she worked before she quit to raise my brother and I so I think part of it's just in my blood mm -hmm. um, that I you know, can frame things and kind of have a natural sense of balance and um, stuff like that. But yeah, it was one of those things again where I, when I left that space for myself, when I left that time, I realized like, oh, I could make money doing this. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had done gigs for people for free, photography gigs. So it was just a matter of like starting to put dollar signs on those, which mm -hmm. was actually a painful process. I would rather work for free. Mm -hmm. I wish we just lived in a barter economy where mm -hmm. I could just, you know, do something for you, you do something for me. Um, because again, the freedom of it, you know, it's like if I'm charging someone $75 for a shoot, I'm not gonna spend an extensive amount of time Photoshopping right. the photo. Right. But I could, you know, right. I could make it 50% better if I took more time, and like really, I'd probably rather do that. I, right. Ideally, I'd be producing the highest quality work I'm capable of at all times. But you know, when you start getting into what is my hour worth, right. you know, what, how, when I break it down, how many dollars per hour did I make doing this project? Oh, three? Oh, that's mm -hmm. not enough. <laughs> you right, know, it's like right. you have to start thinking about your living wage and 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 also what the market will bear. Right. Which unfortunately, people don't want to pay for photography, I guess, because they do feel like, oh, I have an iPhone and it's, you know, 10 megapixels and isn't mm -hmm. that good enough? Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, honestly, it is. <laughs> but yeah, with, with professional photography, I hope that people can see the added value and, and know that it's worth it to mark a time in your life 
you know, with something special, whether mm -hmm. it's um, headshots for, you know, acting you're doing, jobs you're taking out, or capturing the family at this one time and place, or performance photography is another thing I do, dance, theater, um, and it can really enhance, I know we're going to talk about marketing for, for, you know, kind of smaller businesses around here. Design cannot be underemphasized mm -hmm. in this day and age. Uh, we're a very visual culture now. We get bombarded every day. You know, you just log on to Facebook, you see 10 ads before you've even really gotten booted up. Right. So, you know, for smaller companies to stand out, you need that professional looking photography, professional looking graphic design. Um, and so that's how I, the niche I've kind of found. Right. Well, I think there's something to be said for having an expert do the work because mm -hmm. we all can do things, but there is a definite benefit to pay somebody to do something that they're simply better at, yeah. that they have that experience with. And I think there's also something to be said for an outside eye when that person comes in as an observer of your family or your performance or whatever it is, they simply see things that you cannot see yeah. uh, of yourself, of your family. And I think that kind of insight can yield some really interesting images. So if folks go to Bull City Photography website, they'll see your beautiful photographs there. And of course, I'll put that in the show notes. I want to go back a little bit to when you transitioned away from your day job uh, into your sabbatical. Mm -hmm. How did that transition work for you? It sounds like it might be both liberating and also frightening to have all of this open space and time and trying to fill. You had such a packed life that was structured for you, mm -hmm. and then you moved into a completely different space of openness, uh, sort of undefined. How did that work for you? Well, you nailed it. You know, mm -hmm. it was exciting, liberating, but also a little bit terrifying. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I always considered myself as like not really a self-starter, although that's totally arguable. I'm sure every right. person I've worked with would be like, no, she is <laughs> right. a leader and all. Yeah, I would not say that about you. But, <laughs> yeah. anyway. um, but so, yeah, I, I figured I wouldn't be able to get work done mm -hmm. if I just was left to my own devices. I'd be like, if you leave me to my own devices, I'm going to be, you know, making greeting cards for people and sleeping till noon. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not going to go well. So there was that fear that I wouldn't be able to structure my time in a productive way. There was probably the biggest fear was financial. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I'm sitting there watching the hours tick by in those first few weeks and I'm like, that would have been a hundred dollars. Right. That would have been, you know, and it's so there, the opportunity cost puts you in the red almost more than, you know, the fact that you're not making as much um, when you do do work. So yes, the financial considerations were, were scary. It took probably a good couple months for me to, to let go and to kind of get comfortable with that that flow and this new way that my life was structured um, to talk myself out of some of those fears which might have motivated me to go back. Mm -hmm. You know, they did the first time. The mm -hmm. first time in between my first and second consulting jobs, I, I took about six months off and that was all I could afford. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had to go back for fear of consequences. I have a note here from a conversation that you and I had prior to this recording you said that you had to take some time to recover from the cumulative wear and tear of not being my own person. So it sounds like what you're talking about those first few months is just a recovery period and a reframing period. 
this journey uh, into being your own person, from not being your own person to being your own mm -hmm. person is interesting to me because I don't think a lot of people have the opportunity to do it. And I don't think a lot of people see that as a valuable journey to make. How did you get there? Do you think you're there now? Oh, I'm almost there. Yeah, I feel, I feel <laughs> almost, almost there. there. <laughs> I mean, I, I have full confidence that I will continue to evolve and change as an artist and a person for my whole life, hopefully. You know, mm -hmm. I, I hope to be a lifelong learner. But yeah, um, I think the hard part about transitioning from being your own person, from not being your own person to being your own person is, first of all, people don't realize they're not their own person. Mm -hmm. You know, we... We just have these things, you know, like I felt I had to do certain things in order to have a good life. And I think we all have some version of that script sure. in us, whether even if you were born an artist and lived your whole life, you know, it's like you feel obligated to churn out the type of art that your mentor taught you how to churn out mm -hmm. or you want to color within the lines and never are able to experiment with your work. For me, it was I just had been so hard set on this intellectual path. I was good at school. I was lucky to be good at school, and that was the wave I needed to ride, mm -hmm. you know, was kind of the message that I got, and also what I started to believe, that that was the only place I could add value and make money for it. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of how I realized that I wasn't in the right place, just psychological pain, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. It started, I mean, the first couple months I was working out of school, you're just psyched, you know, you got all this energy, you're like ready to conquer the world, there's mm -hmm. ambition. But that like pretty quickly, over the course of probably a year, year and a half in my consulting career started to be eclipsed by the stress and by feel anxiety mm -hmm. you know just having that um, physical sense on a day-to-day -day basis of like I'm keyed up or I'm not at ease or I don't quite fit here and I would look at my my co-workers who you know surely had their own bouts with stress as well but they seemed much more content with life and much mm -hmm. more excited about where they were going and I started to look, and this is more year two, year three, started to look at my superiors in my consulting workplace. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so I realized like, oh, I'm climbing this ladder to what end? Right. I'm not attracted to the positions where this work is going to put me in 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And eventually it was to the point where the, the thought of retiring in this career was a nightmare. It right. was like... Like, if there's a hell, that's what I'm going to be doing right. is working an entire career in, in corporate America. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, once I, I just kind of built on that knowledge over time of like, wow, I don't I don't quite I'm not quite feeling this to like, I'm really not feeling this to I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start to feel scared because you're like, do I tell my parents who paid so much money for my education? I went to Duke, you know, it wasn't right. cheap. Right, right. Um, telling my parents, telling my friends, like, oh, yeah, I'm leaving this, like, well-paying, flashy, shiny, you know, dropping client names. Right. Um, to, to do what? Oh, to do nothing? Right. Yeah, kind of. Like, at first, that was what I did. Um, speaking, you know, you mentioned my recovery period. It did, those first couple months, there was just an element of unwinding of, because mm -hmm. I believe stress to be as physical as it is mental, you know, so there was rest needed, I think, not only for my mind, but for my body. Um, and I think there's a necessity, too, to get in touch with the body. Um, you know, going back to people 
other than me making this transition, I think a lot of them aren't in touch with the physical grind each day mm -hmm. that stress and like dissatisfaction and resentment. I had a lot of resentment in my job. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of communication via email mm -hmm. in consulting. And I found that clients would treat consultants badly because mm -hmm. it's like ultimately they hired you, they're paying you. When they say jump, you say how high. Right. And they're not sometimes tactful about it mm -hmm. uh, when they're writing you a message behind the safety of their computer screen. So I found that to be kind of degrading, demeaning. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had to like give myself some self-love in those first couple months and let myself sleep if I needed sleep, which I needed a tremendous amount of sleep. Right, right. Um, eating, you know, starting to cook for myself again because when I was working, it was more convenience foods, ordering in, eating out um, because I had the money to do so did not have the time right. to cook. So those are kind of some silver linings that you find, you know, when and if you quit your day job, you will find you have more time to <laughs> right. feed yourself right. and to, to save money. You mm -hmm. know, you're not maybe going out as much for, for drinks with coworkers after work because you, you know, want to unwind. Um, so that, that time brings, you know, there's the opportunity cost of not making your salary anymore, but it also allows you to, to structure your life in a way that is less expensive. Mm -hmm. So now you are doing some graphic design, you're doing some web design as well, and you also have the photography. Erin, would you tell us about a photo shoot that was particularly meaningful, interesting, memorable that you have been involved in? Absolutely. Uh, really, all my shoots for Little Green Pig are an adventure because they're <laughs> just always doing something interesting. But... One memory in particular that I have is of shooting Rubber Peacock this year, which we've done it a couple of years now. It's a joint fundraiser with the LGBT Center of Durham. And this year, Glam Rock was the theme. So you can imagine the costumes were oh, excellent. <laughs> we performed a bunch of cover songs. And it was just so energetic. I was, I was up. I was down. I was to the side. I was just literally running around mm -hmm. um, capturing this event. And it was just got my adrenaline pumping. You know, it was fun. It was exciting. I knew the pictures were going to be awesome mm -hmm. when they were done. Um, there was glitter involved. You just you <laughs> couldn't go wrong. So that one was kind of a kind of a milestone for me because it was the moment I was like, oh my gosh, this is like so fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I love photography. Uh, and that was one of many that kind of went the same way where I had realizations where I'm like, oh, I, I actually like this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll come home at the end of the day and want to edit photos. You know, I'll stay up till two in the morning editing photos mm -hmm. and not even really feel like I'm working. Right. Um, so. Which is the sweet spot, right? Mm -hmm. That's where we want to be yeah. is that I want to do this. Time goes by. We don't even notice it. It feels fulfilling mm -hmm. you know, in lots of different ways. And if you can make some money from that, that is just bonus cherry on top that's mm -hmm. where we all want to want to go and i imagine performance photography must be a really interesting experience in the way that you're talking about you're sort of part of the action and part of the performance in a way that feels like it must be really cool i mean i think there's something nice about portrait photography where you can control the elements and stage it. But when things are happening live and you get swept up in that, that must be really energizing. Yeah, I love it, um, especially because, and this is one of the things that brings me the most joy from doing photography, is 
how appreciative people are when they see themselves captured that way. Mm -hmm. You know, especially for artists who, who can't afford professional photography. You know, when I do sh shoots for Little Green Pig and the shots come out great and they're like, thank you so much, and they make it their profile picture. Like, that warms my heart. Like, mm -hmm. that is, you know, the, the non-monetary reward for me is, is giving people media that they really needed, that they really appreciate, and that the, they will keep and treasure. Mm -hmm. I'd like to pivot a little bit here to incorporate your background and the current state of marketing and art in our community. Most local artists don't have the professional and educational experience that you have. For example, your work in global marketing, corporate consulting, your degree in management studies from Fuqua. Based on your very valuable experience, do you have tips or suggestions for local artists who don't have branding or marketing in their skill set? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, it's been an interesting transition working with clients on marketing and business in the corporate setting to the local setting, mainly because, you know, artists don't tend to have, I mean, like you said, they don't have that background. Uh, they don't think like business people. And there are certain just kind of scripts or underlying rules when you're in the business world that everyone knows and plays by. Um, and none of that infrastructure is there when I transitioned to working with, you know, local artists. So I did kind of, you know, come up with a few things where it's like, here's what you can do to help your business partner mm -hmm. or even yourself if you're just working solo on, you know, planning what your, your business is going to look like um, one month, six months, one year, three years. Uh, you definitely want to be planning on a lot of different timescales if you can. Uh, because that's what branding is really all about is having a vision mm -hmm. for like, what is this company? What is this brand? Not even what, but who. You know, people, this is kind of going to the psychology side of things, but they relate to brands as people. You know, if a brand does something, for instance, political that a customer disagrees with, it's almost like you've been personally wronged or something. Mm. You ding that brand as you would a person who mm -hmm. would do that. And you'd be like, I can't believe she did that. I'm not going to buy from her anymore. So, mm -hmm. you know, your corporations are people in that sense of right. the word. So, um, yeah, so I've got a couple tips in terms of, of artists trying to orient themselves towards the business side of things. First of all, I've noticed coming in, asked to advise on business elements of an artistic business, that a lot of times people don't have a timeline. They'll say, oh, well, we want to increase readership. Mm -hmm. Okay, by how much? Over what time scale? How, what has the growth been like so far? You know, um, thinking about the past is just as important as thinking about the future, mm -hmm. um, which leads me to number two, which is pre-scope your costs. When you're you know, undertaking a, a, monet a fundraising goal, perhaps, or trying to put a show together, you know, you've, you've worked with stage managers before. Do you have a ballpark idea of what that's going to cost? Mm -hmm. How much is your music director going to cost? How much, you know, um, definitely come to any kind of business meeting with as, as many numbers as you can have. This ties into number three, which is collect analytics. So, for instance, in the theater realm, if you are, if you have a house manager that's selling tickets, registering reservations as people come in, how did you hear about us? Mm. You know, it's like if you need to know where you're successful already, that'll help you a lot, knowing where you can be successful in the future. If you ask, you know, the 600 people that come to your show 
how'd you hear about us? And not one says, I saw a poster. Right. Maybe you don't want to invest in posters anymore. Right. So it'll help you know where to put your money when you do have it. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, know your goals. So again, that, that ties in with, with number one, having a timeline. But it's like, where do you want to be? A lot of people will only think in terms of the next show mm-hmm. or getting these actors paid. But what about the next group? What about next year? Um, you know, where would you like to be? And you can take that in like a blue sky sense of the word. Like, oh, ideally I would have my own 2,000 square foot theater mm-hmm. and I would, that's fine. You know, do that. Do mm-hmm. the dreaming. Then do the maybe more realistic version. Do the at minimum version um, so that you can you know, plan your trajectory and then pivot if something changes. So it's mm-hmm. always good to have a, a worst case and a best case scenario. So these things that you're talking about having to do with goal setting, research, budgeting, timelines sound completely, not, not only do they sound obvious, but really straight, like straightforward. Like, of mm-hmm. course, you know, of course, w- this is what we do. And yet... People don't do it. I'm wondering if, I'm wondering why that is. Do you have any observations? Mm, well, I think, first of all, everyone's always looking for more money and more exposure. And so because it's like an, a never-ending project, I guess some people are like, well, there is no timeline. It's, mm. we're always working at mm-hmm. this, you know? Um, so to the extent that you can market in terms of over the next month or in terms of that next project, um, yeah, that's that's the way to go. But yeah, why people don't do it? I, I think they're stretched too thin. Mm-hmm. You know, we got people wearing a lot of different hats. Uh, sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. So it's it, I think sometimes it's a matter of time. You don't have time to make your timeline. Right, right. I think they call it making time to work on your business as opposed to always working in your business. Right. And I feel like people, and I certainly feel like this myself, even with this podcast, you're trying to repair the car that you're driving down the highway, Mm -hmm. and that is difficult to do. It's difficult to prioritize in those moments, and you're just trying to churn things out as quickly as you can and kind of (laughs) patch the things that are breaking. And so it's, it's really everything at a breakneck speed. I think you used the term people are over-resourced when mm-hmm. we had our phone conversation, which is such an interesting term because it feels like the word would be under-resourced, <laughs> but over-resourced essentially means overextended, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they become depleted. And so then some of these things fall by the wayside and they mm-hmm. don't get done. And then it's easy for us to keep doing what we've always been doing or not doing what we should have been doing right. um, in the first place. Just having that space that seems to be a theme of this conversation, creating space to get in touch with your goals, who you are as an organization, where you want to go. That's really important and really hard to make that space for ourselves. Definitely. And considering your competitive set is another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Once, if I could get, you know, all the artists and theaters to take their time thinking about it, it's like if you're, like, what's everybody else doing? What makes you different? You know, that's a key pillar of branding is like, what is the unique value proposition um, using, you know, the parlance of of business? I like it. (laughs) Value proposition. Uh, Yeah. What what makes you unique? What can you give that no one else can? Mm -hmm. And, And that's... 
you know, part of how you're going to attract your audience. And then you use that to build your brand out, mm -hmm. build your marketing materials. So because we know that people here are over-resourced or under-resourced, however you want to describe it, is there something that we should prioritize if you had to pick one thing related to marketing, branding, planning, whether that is um, sort of the first thing on the to-do list or where to put the majority of your energy? Do you have a suggestion? Well, for marketing, I would say, if you're not already doing it, emphasize design. So you could be putting on some great shows or you know, creating some great pieces, whatever section of art you're in, but nobody hears about it because your poster didn't look good mm -hmm. or your website looks like it was made in 1996 or, you know, so give the public a user-friendly way to interact with you, something that's eye-catching. You can do it on the cheap. You know, hire a college kid who's majoring in graphic design who wants a little experience, something to put on their resume. You know, it's not hard to find a really solid poster design, program design. Um, that's, that's not going to be too expensive. Mm -hmm. So that kind of points the arrow to a, uh, the, the other first to do, which is collaborate. Mm -hmm. You know, don't do it all yourself because you're not going to be able to. Right. And there, there are a lot of people, yeah, willing to work for free, cheap, who just want to make art. Mm -hmm. um, and and you got to give up control a little bit to let them do that. Do what they're good at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And especially young people, like open the door to young people because they're going to be essential with how fast technology is changing, the rate at which technology is changing is the rate at which marketing is changing. Mm -hmm. Like, you, do you know about Instagram? Do you know about Snapchat? Do you really have, you know, the vocabulary to use those platforms in a way that looks natural mm -hmm. to people who do use those platforms regularly? I'm not even good at it. Mm -hmm. I'm not even good at Twitter. Forget it. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know how. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. It's just I, I tweet boring things. Yes. I should I not be tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> So, Take away the Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But you'll find some kids who have no business background whatsoever and are just have a natural sense for social media. Mm. Um, you know, don't bang your head against the wall. Just hire somebody who, like, knows what they're doing. Right, right. Erin, what's next for you? Um, I'm very much, you know, at the liberty of the tides mm. right now. I'm, I'm still trying to make space for, for new projects to come in. I love working with Little Green Pig. I hope I can, you know, afford to continue doing that. Um, in fact, shameless plug, support Little Green Pig <laughs> on patreon.com slash littlegreenpig. That's how they're, you know, a great way that they're earning money now is by monthly subscriptions, which I believe Artist Soapbox mm -hmm. does as well. Uh, and that's how I get paid, guys. You know, that, that money is, is essential. So thank you to all of our patrons mm, indeed. and hopefully new patrons as a result of this podcast. But yeah, so continuing to work with them continuing to just let Bull City Photography ride. You know, I'm not super ambitious about growing it. I'm not trying to be working 40 hours a week as a photographer. It's one of those things where when gigs come along, great. I'm ha I, I love it. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, just kind of letting it ride with mm -hmm. that. And ultimately, my desire is just to have that sandbox. You know, the sandbox that Little Green Pig has given me. Creative control, space permission to experiment. Um, and so I'll just be looking to cultivate that in whatever it is that I do next. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here My and pleasure. for this conversation and useful information. 
Special thanks to Shadowbox Studio in Durham, North Carolina, where we are recording today. Check out their website, shadowboxstudio.org. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. You can support us via our Patreon campaign at www.patreon.com slash artistsoapbox. For information about today's episode and more, go to artistsoapbox.org, and we're out. <laughs>